0: Would you remain standing as we honor God and His Word? Our scripture reading is found in Mark's Gospel, chapter 13. Mark's Gospel, chapter 13, verse 1. If you need a Bible, there's one in the seat back pocket in front of you. Otherwise, you can follow along on the screen behind me. And as He came out of the temple, one of His disciples said to Him, Look, Teacher, what wonderful stones, and what wonderful buildings. Jesus said to him, do you see these great buildings? There will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. Lord, I want to thank you that you always had a spiritual mind. You used every situation in the life of the disciples to point them in some direction towards your heavenly Father. You do the same with us, the church. And my prayer as the church is that every word that you speak to us, it would spiritually affect our lives and that we would be different because of it. Give us the grace today to hear your word and to be challenged by it. In Jesus' name, all God's people said, Amen. You may have your seat. And if you brought your Bibles, you want to turn to three areas of scripture as we continue our three part series on the church. The first uh, area of scripture is 1 Corinthians chapter 13. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2, and then Ephesians chapter 4. So three areas today. That is 1 Corinthians 3, Acts chapter 2, Ephesians 4. And the title of the message is The Building of the Church. You remember last week we did The Bride of the Church. This week, The Building of the Church. Next week, The Body of the Church. And so this week, once again, the title of the message, The Building of the Church. The disciples are looking at the temple, Mark chapter 13, and they're so amazed with its structure. In fact, I always find it amazing how fascinated people are with buildings. They'll travel over land and sea just to see a building, like the magnificence of the Sistine Chapel. People will travel from all over the world Just to see its ceiling and how magnificent it is in the Vatican City. Some people will go all the way to Turkey to see the Hagia Sophia, which is one of the oldest churches in the world. In fact, when we held our Patmos moment there... Uh, Zach and I ran as fast as we could, a couple of miles, just so that we could go and see it for a second and then hop on an airplane. I mean, it was incredible to see this stone that had been there since the early third century, uh, and it's one of the oldest churches. Uh, Maybe you might travel all the way to Colombia to see the Las Lajas Cathedral, another beautiful, stellar church building. Or maybe quite possibly you might want to just go to North Carolina to see that old country church and experience maybe that old country religion. But some people, now as you see this next picture, I know you won't believe it, some people might go all the way to Taiwan to see this church. They decided that they wanted to attract women to their church, so they made a glass slipper cathedral. This is a real building. You can read the story. It has become a Taiwanese sight attraction. You can go all the way there to see Cinderella's glass slipper. But truly, nothing, nothing could compare with Herod's temple. His goal was to make it just like Solomon's. The temple though it was built on stone with stone on the outside, oh the inside. The inside was just like Solomon's temple. Everything was gold. There were gold walls. There was a gold floor. All of the furniture articles were covered in gold. Everything was of gold. The magnificence inside of Herod's temple was one that the disciples would look and see wow, what a building! What a building! But its magnificence wasn't just in the fact of its gold inlay, no. It's Second Chronicles chapter seven, if you have your Bible, you can follow along on the screen. But in Second Chronicles chapter seven, verse fourteen, when Solomon would build the temple, listen to what the Lord would speak to Solomon. If my people, who are called by my name, humble themselves and pray and seek my face, and turn from their wicked ways, then I'll hear from heaven, and will forgive their sin and heal their land. Now my eyes, he says to Solomon, will be open and my ears attentive to the prayer that is made in this place. For now I've chosen and consecrated this house that my name may be there forever. My eyes and my heart will be there for all time. This temple was a place for the people of God to commune and to connect with God. Listen to what he says. My heart and my eyes will be there for all time. No wonder Jesus would make an announcement that his body was the temple of God, for truly the heart of God the Father. And his eyes were ever so attentive to the prayers that were made of Jesus. The Bible tells us that His physical appearance was not beautiful, much like the outside of the temple. No, it was just made of stone. No, it was the inside of Jesus that was like a heart of gold yielded to God his Father. In the same manner as we're the body of Christ, it should not surprise us that the church is also called God's building, that his heart is. And his eye is upon us, desiring for us to have that inner beauty, that golden heart that is surrendered to the Lord, much like the inside of Solomon or even Herod's temple. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 3 as we continue our study of how the church is the building of God. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, if you have your Bible, I'm going to begin reading... Right there in verse 9, Paul is speaking to the Corinthian church. He's trying to solve an argument that they're having. And the Corinthian church, well, they've strayed a little bit from what God had intended the church to be. And now, well, Paul is trying to kind of redirect them, get them back on track. And he says to them in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 verse 9, for we are God's fellow workers. You are God's fields, God's building." Underline that in your Bible. We are God's building. We are God's building. You see, as a Jew, in fact, the Hebrew of Hebrews, the Pharisee of Pharisees, of the tribe of Benjamin, you need to understand what building that, well, Paul is referring to. He's referring to the beauty and the magnificence of the temple. It towered nine stories on the top of Mount Zion in Jerusalem. Every eye, no matter where you were in Jerusalem prior to the building of Antonia's fortress, you could see this temple. It was made there on the top of Mount Zion so that no matter where you were, no matter where you were coming in from, you, your eye would go on the temple that was standing far above all other structures. And in the same way, the church. No matter where you come from, No matter where you are, everyone should recognize the church standing tall for truth, standing tall in morality, standing tall with integrity, standing tall with truth. Now, it had taken over 40 years to build the temple, and that's why when Jesus said that he would destroy the temple in three days, and then he would rebuild it, that the Pharisees couldn't understand, they said, it's taken over 40 years to build. Because buildings don't just pop up overnight. In the same way, God has been building his church for over 2,000 years. In fact, with me personally, he's been taking a lifetime, 48 years to be building this living stone in the church. He, and I can be confident that he's going to complete this work because he promises the work that he started in me, the work that he started in the church, he is going to complete that work. But the truth is that work takes time because building a building takes time. That's why they called it a building because it takes one step at a time to build a building. I mean, there's a foundation of a building. Then you have to form the building and then there's a, a, a function of the building. There's a reason why the building has been built, but there's also a face of the building. And Paul, what he's going to do to the Corinthian church and by the Holy Spirit for us, is explain to us the building of the church. We are God's building, the church. Let's take a look at the first, the foundation. Look with me at 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 10. According to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation. Someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. I need to explain first century construction for you to understand what Paul is trying to get across. Construction was a little bit different back then. Where we pour a foundation, they would lay a foundation. That's what he says in verse 11. For no one can lay a foundation. You see, stones were actually laid in the ground to form the foundation of the building that was to be built. And Paul says there's no other foundation than Jesus. He is whom the church is built upon. Any other foundation and your building's gonna fall down. And the Corinthians, they were building on a very shaky foundation. It was what they were arguing about. You see, their foundation was Paul, they thought. Their foundation was Apollos. They thought their foundation was a man. And they were following Paul, or they were following Apollos, and they were in the midst of this argument, and Paul has to stop them for a minute and say, wait a second. No, 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 our foundation is Jesus, See, they were arguing about salvation. Well, we got saved by Paul. They were arguing about sanctification. Well, we got discipled by Apollos. Who should we follow? Paul, who led us to the Lord, or Apollos, who discipled us in the Lord? And Paul was telling him the truth of salvation and sanctification is in Christ alone. It's not Paul. It's not Apollos. It's in Christ. Because he... And he alone is the foundation of the church. He's the only foundation of the church. Listen to this. It's 1 Timothy chapter 3. First Timothy chapter 3 verse 15. 1 Timothy chapter 3 verse 15. If I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and a buttress of truth. Did you hear that? We the church are a pillar and a buttress of truth. We are the foundation of truth. The church alone holds the truth to salvation and sanctification. No other religion, no other person, no other organization, not even Joseph Smith can lead us to heaven or teach us how we should live on earth. The church is the foundation of truth. So Paul tells them there in 1 Corinthians, listen, you gotta be careful. You you need to be careful. Let each one take care how he builds upon that foundation. If you remember, going back to 1 Corinthians chapter three, he calls himself a skilled master builder. I need to put that in our, our 21st century world. He was a chief architect, engineer, contractor and the picture he's painting of this in this first century world would be very clear to the Corinthian church who understood what he meant when he said a skilled master builder you see that skilled master builder had a job to do and their job was to carefully select the exact and right cornerstone that would be laid in the building. Now, I know we have remnants of a cornerstone where we put a a, a cornerstone in a building just to simply dedicate the building. But the cornerstone at the time, listen carefully, it actually set the course of the building. And so if it was a one-story building, they knew, well, they needed this size of cornerstone. But if it was a nine-story building like the temple, oh, the cornerstone of the temple is 43 feet long and six feet deep. The architect, chief architect, knew exactly what cornerstone was needed in order for that building to be built. It was the first stone to be laid, and once that stone was laid, every other stone would be measured by the standard of that cornerstone. All other stones would have to be conformed to the cornerstone in order for the building to stand. And Paul says, I know what cornerstone to lay. And that cornerstone is Jesus. He defines it further in Ephesians. Listen to this. It's Ephesians chapter 2. You can write it down in your notes. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 20. Built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure, listen to the first century world, being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built together. In other words, you are being conformed to the cornerstone to build the building, okay? In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. You see, as with the physical building, Paul's making it very clear that all of those in the church that spiritually make up the church are part of God's building. And we must all be conformed to the cornerstone, to the image of Jesus Christ, in order for this building to be continued to be built. Now, amazingly so, when Solomon's temple was being built, not one of the other stones were chiseled on Temple Mount. There was to be no noise on Temple Mount. It was to be holy. All of the stones were chiseled in the quarry. First Kings chapter 6, verse 7 tells us that all of the stones were chiseled in the quarry. And once they were chiseled to match the cornerstone, they were brought up to Temple Mount, no matter how big they were, and they were set on the foundation. You see, that quarry is our life. And over the course of our life, We can be confident that Jesus is chiseling away our stone and he's conforming us into the image of that cornerstone so at the end of our life, our stone can be placed permanently in that eternal home with God built on the foundation of Jesus, the church. Secondly, I want you to write it down, the formation of the church. The church simply just doesn't have a foundation. No, it's got walls, it's got structure, and it has to be formed. And so Paul, he moves on with this illustration. Take a look at 1 Corinthians chapter 3, now verse 12. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest, for the day will disclose it. Because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he'll receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he'll suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. Paul's going on with this visual illustration of a building, and remember he's referring to the visual of the temple. Now you saw the picture on the outside, it's very clear it was made of stone. Inside was all kind of gold and silver and precious stones. The temple was built to look strong. The temple was built to look steadfast. The temple was built to be immovable. No wonder Paul would tell the church, be strong, steadfast, and immovable. There was no, there was, there was no wood, there was no hay. There, there was no straw that was to be used, because if you remember, wood, hay, and straw is what the Egyptians used to build their buildings. Wood, hay, and straw, well, that would be a reminder to the Jew of slavery. That would be a reminder to the Jew of bondage. So, God wanted his temple not to be formed out of the the material of slavery and bondage. No, he wanted his material to be a representation of heavenly things, things that could withstand the test of time, like stone and gold and silver and precious, precious stones. And the truth is, you can't form the church, you can't build the church on the world's ways. That's why you won't see a thermometer. Well, I'm the pastor at this church because I'm not going to coerce you to give. No, I'm going to disciple by the word of God. You're not going to see a raffle here at this church. Well, I'm the pastor here at this church because there's... It's a way of the world that we don't want to bring into the church. We won't want to build the church by the ways of the world. No, we want to build the church by the material that God gives us to build the church. Because when we build it God's way, he's going to make it strong. He's going to make it steadfast. He's going to make it uh, 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 immovable. Now, if you looked at the temple, there were four walls. Those four walls represent something very spiritual because there are four walls of the church. Turn with me to Acts chapter 2. I ask you to keep your finger there. Turn with me to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2, we're going to go back to 1 Corinthians, but in Acts chapter 2, I want you to see what the walls of the church are formed and made out of. The first church, Acts chapter 2, verse 42 And they devoted themselves, here's the first wall, to the apostles' doctrine. The church is built by and through the word of God. The church is built by and through the word of God. I think God just agreed with me because something just turned off. I love when I make a a point like that and something happens. It's like, listen to him. So listen. One of the greatest points that you can catch is that we're built off the Apostles' doctrine. For 40 days, Jesus put the disciples through Jesus Christ University after the resurrection. He spent time with them. And the Bible says he opened their eyes to the law of Moses, to Psalms, and the prophets. Well, we have that Jesus Christ University textbook. Do you know what it's called? First and Second Peter. Titus, Philemon, Hebrews, James, Galatians. Jesus opened up by revelation, opened their eyes. We've got Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and the disciples got it over this 40 days of him investing. And now we have the apostles' doctrine we call the New Testament. And we can study the New Testament because that's the wall of the church. It's what forms the church. Secondly, take a look. The apostles' doctrine, teaching, and the fellowship. We get to hang out. That's a wall of the church. We get to be. We get to belong to each other. We get to be in a life group. We get to be together. We don't have to come to church. We get to come to church. We get to hang out and inspire each other and encourage each other and cry with each other and exhort each other and challenge each other to follow the Lord. The next, take a look, the breaking of bread. There's a third wall of the church. It's how the church is built. Communion. We get to remember the Lord and how to honor him and how to love him and how to do his will and way. That's a wall of the church. The breaking of bread. The remembering of Jesus. The fourth wall, take a look. And prayers. Prayers. The church is built on our communion and our connection with God. And maybe this week we just find ourselves making an appointment with God, five minutes in his word, five minutes in prayer. This is how the church is formed. This is how the church comes together go on. Not only does the church form, but the the building of the church has a function. Now I'm speaking spiritually, of course, but every building has a function. Take a look with me again at 1 Corinthians chapter 3. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, now I'm in verse 16. Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is holy And you are that temple, the function of the church. Because every building is constructed to have a specific function. For example, when you go into a gym building, you expect to see a basketball court. You expect to see baskets. You expect to see the back backdrop. Uh, you expect to see bleachers because they have built it to be a gymnasium for basketball. You go in an office building. You expect to see compartments. You expect to see a foyer. You expect to see an entranceway. You expect to see various office buildings with doors or maybe glass walls. You expect to see offices in an office building, a mall. You expect to see shops. There's a big open space with a wall and then a behind space where all of the material and inventory is stored. It's just the way that a mall is built so it can fulfill its function. Paul's letting us know we're God's temple and we have a spiritual function and that spiritual function of our spiritual building, he makes it very clear, is that we are to be holy. We're to be holy. Now Peter he will pick up on this building of the church example and illustration. And in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 4 and 5, look what he wrote about this function of the church. As you come to him a living stone, rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up a spiritual house. To be a holy priesthood, there's our function. So the reason there's a house is so that we can become holy. Now here's why. To offer spiritual sacrifices, here's the key word, acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Peter reiterates this idea that we're God's building. He refers to us as living stones refers to Jesus as a living stone. Now, that seems to be an oxymoron, right? Stones are dead, and how can they be alive? It kind of sounds like, well, that's a fine mess that you've made into, or listen to this. Um, There's a real love-hate relationship between me and him, okay? Listen to these oxymorons, okay? That's a deafening silence. I love this one. Military intelligence. Clearly confused. Here's another one. Her singing was enough to raise the living dead. Or, that's a genuine imitation Rolex watch. I love this one. This is great. Well, I'm having my own minor crisis. I didn't know that crises could be minor. She's pretty ugly. It's the same difference you all, uh, it's your only choice, and the student teacher explained. How can you be a student and a teacher at the same time? These are oxymorons. So, is living stone an oxymoron or is it a miracle? No, it's a miracle. See, stones can't be alive, but Jesus is a living stone because he was dead. And he rose again. And he says of the church, you were dead in your trespasses and sin. But now you've been made alive through Christ Jesus. This is not an oxymoron. This is a miracle for the church. You see, as living stones, we're being built up. There's a reason we're saved so that we can offer spiritual sacrifices that are acceptable to God. You see, the lamb, when it was sacrificed in the temple, it was inspected to make sure that it was a lamb that could be offered to God. And in the same way, we are being inspected. In the same way, there is only a type of sacrifice that God will accept. And that type of sacrifice, it's defined for us in the Word of God. It's the will and the way of Christ. It's not the way we want to do it. It's not our will. Remember what Jesus said in the garden Not my will, but yours be done. It's not like we can choose, here's how I'm going to do my Christianity, here's how I'm going to do my life, when God has prescribed for us an acceptable living sacrifice to offer it. Paul makes it clear don't destroy the temple. Because God will destroy them. That's what he said in 1 Corinthians 13. And this word destroy, it means defile. Well, I don't want to defile the temple of God. Well, what would defile it? Anything that's not acceptable to God. So like Austin? You see, just like Austin, the function of the church, well, he heard the word of God and he lived the word of God. He didn't think about it. He didn't wonder. Now, do I move from Colorado to Virginia? Do I move from Virginia to Hastings? I mean, who's gonna provide for me? What's gonna happen? How is it gonna happen? I don't even know what I'm going to do. No, he heard the word. He made a decision to be obedient to the word and that is called holiness. When we choose to hear and we choose to put it into action, that's holiness. That's something that's acceptable. When we realize we're going our way And instead, we want to go our way, his way. That's what happened to Austin in college. Well, I'm going to do business to make sure that I can make it, and I'll do theology on the side. And God says, no, I want you to do theology, and I want you to put business to the side because I have a plan for you. Now, that's not necessarily the plan for everyone, but the illustration is clear. Am I willing to hear what God says to me and then do what God says because that is what's acceptable? Anything else, going my way, doing my plan, that's defiling. Paul says, don't do it. Finally, let's take a look. It's 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Here's where we close. Every building has a foundation, every building has a formation. Every building has a function, and every building has a face. Take a look. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18. Let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you thinks that he's wise in this age, let him become a fool, that he may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is folly with God, for it's written, He catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise that they're futile. So let no one boast in men for all things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or the present or the future. All are yours. And you are Christ and Christ is God's. Every building has a face. And architects, they spend a lot of time, a lot of energy and a lot of effort into the face of a building. They, 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 they have a desire For the face to give it a curbside appeal, to be an attraction to those who pass by. Now, if it's one of those functional buildings that just needs to be, there's no time spent on the face of the building. It's just a functional existence with a roof on it. But most architects and most cities, well, they're very concerned about what the face of their building looks like. In the Corinthian church, they developed a face. But this face was not very attractive. Just flip over a page to 1 Corinthians chapter one. You'll see the face of their building in 1 Corinthians chapter one, verse 11. For it has been reported to me, here's the face, here's the testimony. It's been reported to me by Chloe's people that there's quarreling among you, my brothers. And What I mean is that each one of you says, I follow Paul, or I follow Apollos, or I follow Cephas, or I follow Christ. Look at verse 13. Is Christ divided? Oh, Corinthian church. Your face doesn't look so great. You need a facelift. You need an upgrade. You you need to go a, a renovation restoration project, Corinthian church, because you're not looking a lot like Christ. You see that kind of wisdom the brother of James would say, "Oh, it's earthly it's demonic. When you're quarreling and you're fighting amongst yourself, that's not the wisdom of God. And they thought they were so wise. And he says, don't be deceived. Let me explain what they were thinking. The Corinthian church was saying, I follow Adam because Adam is so creative and God is the God of creation. Another portion of the church said, well, I follow Zach. Because Zach gets the job done, and God is a God of order, and so I follow Zach. Some other people would say, well, I follow Chet, because he's so (laughs) good-looking. And God has created such a good-looking world. No, I follow Chet because he loves people, and God loves people. You didn't have to laugh so hard when I said it. And this is the wisdom of their theology. They thought it was about man. And Paul says, You're deceiving yourself. You've missed the point. You're Christ. And Christ has given various people with various gifts to be the face of the church, to build the church to show the church off so the church would be attractive to the world. Finally, turn with me to Ephesians and let's see what this face looks like. Ephesians chapter 4, look at verse 11. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for building up the body of Christ. Listen again. He gave some to be apostles, prophets, evangelists, and shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry for building up the body of Christ. He gave various people with various gifts for service. Hey gang, you know what the face of our building should look like? A military recruiter's office signing up people to serve. That's what we should look like. That should be the face of our building. He's given us various people with various gifts so that we can equip and edify the body for the work of the ministry. We should have the face of service. Take a look at the church. Verse 14. I'm sorry, verse uh, 13. Until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood. Listen again until we attain to mature manhood or personhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Listen to what he says in verse 13. He gave various people with various gifts for each of us to be chiseled to match our cornerstone until we conformed into the image of Jesus. Let me tell you what our face should be. We should have the face of a 24-hour fitness. That when you come into the church building, you are gonna be made spiritually fit To do the work of the ministry. The church puts people into spiritual shape. Take a look at this next building. Verse 14, he goes on to say, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. No. He gave various people various gifts for us to know the word of God so that we're standing tall, we're standing strong, we are standing in this world that constantly wants to defile the church. We should have the face of UC Irvine because when you drive up into UC Irvine, you take your computer out, you take your notebook out, you take your pen out, and you start taking notes. The church is a group of students being trained to do the work of the ministry. We should have a face like you see Irvine. Take a look, verse 15 and 16. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we're to grow up in every way into him who's the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint which is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. He's given us Various people with various gifts for us to have a face, a face of love. I know I showed you pictures of churches, but those were buildings. The real church, you know what we look like? It builds itself in love. And the picture isn't a building. It's a people. And when you see that people, and when you're around those people, you don't see a glass slipper. You don't see the Hagia Sophia or an old country church. You sense and feel and experience the love of Christ. That's the face of the church.